Uh, yeah, so it's Valentine's weekend, and I'm hopeful that for the folks that are celebrating it, you've had a, a good dinner or a good date, or if you're looking to celebrate it in the future. It only felt kind of appropriate that this morning we talk about love. And if you noticed, pretty much all of the worship songs this morning had that general theme of love to it. You know, one of the things that we've been kind of stressing as we've moved into this new year and transitioning with Pastor Dennis as a senior pastor, one of the elements that we've talked about in our meetings and staff and in our elders meetings is what do we want to be known for? And that was kind of made evident in the first couple series that Pastor Dennis did as he talked about that whole idea of This Is Us. Now, I'll be honest, I've never seen that show, so I had to kind of like go to Wikipedia and read some of the plot lines so I could understand what some of the references were for. But some of you were into it and you liked that show, and that's cool. But this whole mindset of who are we, what are we, what do we want to be known for, ultimately kind of boils down to what our core values are as a church and as a Christian. One of the neat things we get to do every year is create a yearbook ad that gets to go in our yearbook for the school. Side plug, if you want to buy one, you can. Just contact the office. But on our ad this year, we got to kind of redevelop it and we put our core values on the ad. And if you're not familiar this morning with what our core values are, they're on your bulletin. And they're simply this, loving God through healthy relationships, authentic worship, learning and applying scriptural truths, and local and global outreach. Essentially... If you want to boil it down to a neat little three-part thing, it, it boils down to this. We want to love God, love others, and be faithful to Scripture. That's, that's what our heart is. That's what we want to be known for. That's what we want to do both as a church. And this morning, I want to challenge you a little bit to encourage you to say, how in my life am I loving God and am I loving others? Am I being faithful to what Scripture teaches us? And we heard some of those elements in this morning's songs, Jesus, Friend of Sinners, right? That, that whole idea of loving the outcast, loving the lost cause, and, and all the others, Hosanna, Show me how to love like you've loved me. And my favorite song, Mike, I'm so glad you, you closed the, the morning set with it. Be Thou My Vision. I love that song. Just that reminder of, of what are we kind of striving for? What are we focusing on? What is becoming our motives for ministry? What's our motives for life? And how, how is that in line with what Christ teaches, what Scripture teaches, what we learn from tradition and standard, and, and just kind of building that into our own lives? So I'm going to invite you to pray with me this morning, and we're going to jump right into it. We'll be as, uh, as focused as possible. It's, it's beautiful out. I like the snow. It's, it's so pretty out today. So um, I know some of you are just excited to get home and shovel the good thing, it's only powder, it's not that heavy, so it should go quick, maybe a leaf blower, hit it up, but will you join me in prayer this morning? Father, God, we are so grateful to be here this morning as we get into your word, and we're working backwards a little bit about being faithful to what scripture says, and then we're going to look at what does it mean to love others and to love you, and how that all impacts our lives. So God, this morning, I pray that you would remove the distractions, God, that you would open our hearts and ears to your word. And for those who may be listening, tuning in, or here in person who have yet to be impacted by the message of the gospel this morning, God, I pray that something would just stir in their spirit to find out more, to find out who you are. 
God, help us this morning as we take a look at love and we try to get this understanding of what the Bible teaches us about it and how it impacts our lives, not only in our relationship with you, but in our inner being, in our relationship with others. Help us, Lord, this morning. Speak through me. Help me to speak clear. And Father, we ask these things in your powerful name. Amen. So in your bulletins, if you have your notes, you're keeping track. The first kind of point is getting to understand that love, love is at the core. One of the things that we want to be known for, if we're going to be uh, successful in learning and applying spiritual truth, is being faithful to Scripture. And being faithful to something in and of itself carries an undertone of love. Even if you look at the two working definitions that are in the dictionary, it says this for faithful. One, remaining loyal or steadfast, being true, being constant, being devoted. We think about how those words impact our relationships. In a marriage relationship, I want to be devoted and true and constant to my wife. In friendships and in other relationship levels, there's a whole mess load of them. But we want to understand we want truth. We want something constant. We want something that's going to be devoted, whether it's to uh, us or to the relationship itself. But the second part of that is true to the facts or the original. We want it to be accurate. We want it to be realistic. We want it to be authentic. So what does that mean for us? Well, being faithful to scriptures, we want to make sure that we're constant. We're devoted to what the Bible says. And the second part of that is we want to make sure that not only is it true to the facts, but it's authentic in our lives. So that as we're out and we're acting out what we're learning and what we're applying, it's real. It's authentic. Like Mike shared, warts and all. Sometimes he's a tough dude to get along with. I, I, I don't see it. But... I know if I were to ask my wife, she would say the same thing. Yeah, sometimes, okay, that's not, what, man. But here's the deal. Both of these definitions are necessary when it comes to recognizing and living out the core values as a church and as individuals, loving God, loving others, Being faithful to scripture, it means that we're devoted to what it says. We're devoted to learning. We're devoted to teaching. We're devoted to representing representing it accurately and authentically. So we're going to look this morning at the book of Mark. As you're turning there, if you're turning there, Mark uh, chapter 12. Just a little bit of background while you're trying to get there, Mark. We know it's, it's a gospel that Mark wrote, probably likely based on Peter's recollection of what happened in Jesus' life. We know that Mark, it's like a mini-series. Maybe that's why I like it so much, because it's not heavy with one thing or the other. It's just like, boom, and this, and this, and this, and this, and it's exciting to me. I probably say that every time, but I, I like it. It's fun. It's a fun book to read. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 12, but by the time we get to Mark chapter 12, there's a lot of stuff that's happened. Ten chapters committed to the birth, life, and ministry of Christ. The remaining chapters dedicated to the last week or so of Christ's life. So if you really like Mark, you know that in chapter 11, some crazy things have happened. Jesus is arriving in Jerusalem, and immediately he picks a fight in the temple, flips the tables fighting with people about authority. People are challenging his teaching. They're challenging what he's representing himself as. They're challenging who he is. And he's literally 
having discussions with everybody, Pharisees, Sadducees, leaders, chief, everybody. Everybody wants to get a crack at Jesus. So in our text this morning, Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 31, this is what it says. It says, one of the scribes came and heard them arguing and recognized that he had answered them well. He asked him, what commandment is the foremost of all? Jesus answered, the foremost is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the focal point of this conversation starts in verse 28. And just for reference sake, it's up there. We're not really going to read it again, but it's understanding that Jesus is in this crowd of people and he's in a bit of a hostile crowd. The people aren't like trying to be polite and kind. They're asking him really heavy questions about who he is, about his authority, about where he came from. They're asking really heavy questions about how are we supposed to interact with the government. They're asking really heavy questions about, hey, so what happens in the afterlife? That was kind of referring back to Jewish law. So in every direction, something's coming at Jesus that's challenging just about everything about him. And the neat thing is it talks about a scribe that's kind of listening in the different, listening in the distance, and he, he comes forward, and the conversation changes from this hostile crowd to this one-on-one interaction. And what is really neat about it is it, it kind of has this feel of like Jesus and Nicodemus. There's a, there's a mutual respect that the two seem to have for each other. The, the, the scribe is coming to Jesus. Jesus is talking. He's, he's taking time out of whatever is happening to just kind of, to draw it all in. And here's what's neat. The scribe, he's not trying to trick Jesus. He's not trying to confuse him. He's not questioning his authority. It says that he heard from a distance. And basically what he's hearing is this is, he's right. Everything he said so far is right. His questions are different. Again, they're not about authority. They're not about taxes. Some weird, wild hypothetical about one woman with seven husbands. He just simply asked this. He he figuratively steps out of the crowd, and this is his question. Of all the commandments, which one is the most important? And Jesus responds directly and personally. He starts with this quote of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, but he kind of mashes it up with Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. And, and what's really interesting is how these two verses kind of fit together in the Old Testament. Really, they have nothing to do with each other. They're in completely separate books. They address completely separate things. And Jesus takes both of these verses and kind of mixes them up. And he says this, Hear Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And the second part of Leviticus 19, if you read Leviticus 19, Leviticus is a tough book to read. Don't do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. It's okay. But when you get to 19, it's all about who's your neighbor, who's a foreigner, how do we treat people that are less fortunate than us, how do we take care of the poor. But it gets to this verse, and it's the second half of the verse, 
And it says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. If you don't know, that verse in Deuteronomy is called the Shema. And it's a prayer that Jewish people pray at the start of their day, sometimes throughout the day, to end their day. It's this call into worship. It's this continual reminder about the sovereignty of God, about the kingship of God, who is ultimately in control, who are they ultimately turning to. It recognizes his power and authority. And then it calls Israel into this reminder of, because God is who he is, your responsibility is to love him. With what? All of you. And he ties this in. It's about the strangers. It's about the outcasts. Jesus goes beyond the scope. He, he takes this question and he answers it directly and immediately, but he adds that second caveat. Hear, O Israel, listen, Israel, the Lord is one. He's one God. Love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. It's like he, he, he clamps them together. Making it all one thing. And this is important because, like I said, neighbor would have meant your fellow countrymen. The fellow Jewish people in your village or in your family, in your clan, in your tribe. Those were their neighbors. Why is this radical? Because now we're outside of the Jewish circle, and if we look at what Jesus has taught as he's teaching through the book of Mark, and he's teaching in other parts of the gospel, he's calling the disciples into a relationship with him to take this message and share it to the nations. This whole message of loving God, loving others. Loving God, loving others. And it opens the door to say this, your neighbor is no longer just your family. It's no longer your fellow countrymen. It's no longer the person that, that you grew up with. It's no longer the other tribes. Your neighbor is on a global level. Hopefully you picked up on our theme this morning with the songs. That we're called to love people on a much deeper global level. So Jesus answers the scribe. And this is a unique thing about this portion of Scripture. It's the only portion of Scripture in the Gospel where the scribes and Jesus agree on the same thing. The only part. Look what verse 33 says. It says this. The scribe said to him, Well said, teacher. You have truly stated that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself. I love the last part of this verse, because this is what the scribe says. To love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. Sounds familiar. I think Samuel says something about that. It's better to obey than to sacrifice. It's more about the action behind what we're doing. It's more about... Am I just plodding along and just following what, what the Bible says and, and I don't have to love anybody as long as I'm just completely focused? What the scribe confirms and what this exchange makes clear is that at the core of our identity, there needs to be two things happening. I'm going to share with you. I didn't put slides together because it's, it's just real quick. I'm going to read two parts of scripture, one out of Romans chapter 13. 
verses 8 through 10, it says this, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And Paul is is echoing the same thing. He's reminding us of the same thing. The principle that Jesus teaches, it's the same idea. He even goes back to quote the Mosaic law, the moral law, the moral code, what we're supposed to live by. Don't steal, don't cheat, don't lie. And Paul says, it's real simple. If you truly love people, you won't need these constant reminders because they won't matter. You're not going to do those things. So it's a reminder to us. He also echoes the same thing in Galatians chapter 5, verse 14. He says this, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, guess what it is? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So if we're going to be faithful to Scripture, what I want to kind of challenge you with before we jump into like the practical stuff is simply this. From what Jesus teaches here in Mark, what we see in other parts of the New Testament and the Old Testament, it's all one theme. It's this. Loving God with our whole self is at the core of our identity. And on top of that, loving God is intimately linked to loving others. It's not a this or that. It's, it's, not even, it's hard to even say it's like this and that. There's not really an and there. It's like it's this. It's all one thing. So I want to just kind of remember or remind you, if you remember during the This Is Us part of the series, it's only been like five weeks ago. So it's not that far, not that far long, not that whatever. Does anybody remember the second series, the second part of that series? We did This Is The Church, This Is The Baptist Church, and This Is Harmony Baptist Church. And Pastor Dennis shared the Baptist distinctives. And now everybody knows what they are. There's a, a fun little line, right? Everybody's like, maybe biblical authority, autonomy, two offices, two ordinances, right? We, everybody remembers Pastor Dennis. Every head is shaking. You'll be proud to know that. But he also talked about the Baptist distinctives. And we know what those are. And we talked about it on like the general sense of like Baptist churches as a whole historically have been known for being hypocritical, judgmental, prejudiced, intolerant, holier than thou. I mean, there's a laundry list of what those words look like. So in thinking about this whole idea of loving God and loving others and how does this impact me? How does it impact this? How is love at the core? What does this all mean? I want to give you five, five of those things. And I didn't put it in your notes, but if, if there's little blanks you want to fill in for your own love blocker, you totally can. Because what I want to do is I want to take those distinctives. I want to look at how if these are things that are currently built into our life, we're not going to love God. And we're certainly not going to love other people. So here's the first one we have this morning. These are our love blockers. Being judgmental. So I have some characteristics of someone who's judgmental. Unable to separate the person from their action. Everything and everyone is in a category of good or bad. There's no in between. They're bad, they're good. 
My criticism is the truth. I, listen, I'll be honest. Writing this sermon, writing these notes, going through these things, I'm like, oh, I can't say this, but I have to. Because can I tell you, of the five of these, all of these have, uh, have, have rooted in myself one way or another. So please, as I'm going through these and thinking, like, this isn't like a, Tim's up here just listing off all the bad things. I'm telling you, I'm struggling with these things as well. Especially the, my criticism is the truth. What I think is right. And you know what takes that a step further? Even when I know that I'm wrong, I'm still right. You been there? Yeah, I see some hands up. And that last one is this. I expect perfection of others, but that's supposed to be don't. But don't always expect perfection from me. It's important for you to be perfect, but not for me. Maybe some of you have felt this way. Maybe you're hearing some of these and going, I've never really stopped to consider that this could be me. Here's the next one. Prejudice. Negative thoughts, feelings, or actions towards people or people groups. Holding tight to stereotypical beliefs. Negative prejudgments about people or groups. And exaggerating the difference between you and others. And I'm, 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 seriously, I'm, I'm not asking you to leave here feeling horrible. I'm just asking you to, to put on a different lens. And to, to kind of look in the mirror. And open up a little bit. And say, is this a root in my life? Because I'm, I'm, I'm serious. Looking through these, we might think it's only a little thing. It's not that big. But if it's causing us to not love others the way we're supposed to, it's causing us to not love God. Period. The way we're supposed to. So here's the next one. The next one, these next two are open for interpretation, if you will rationalizing love i'm love is blocked in my life when i start to rationalize things making excuses to explain situations or bad behavior well that's just the way god made me well you know i i grew up in a house that was this or my parents or you know i i it's just who i am and this is this one in the quotations that's a me well they deserve it I saw a a post about driving five miles an hour in the left lane. And it was like, come on, we get it. But some of us are trying to break the law for real. So if you could kindly get out of the left lane so we could get rolling, like that would be great. And and so this is me, right? So I see people fly by me down the highway. And I'm like, man, I hope they get a ticket. This guy is ridiculous. Not even paying attention that I'm speeding. And I'm probably driving similar to how that person is. And I want everybody to, to follow me or to get out of my way because I deserve it. They deserve to get pulled over because they're driving like idiots. I know. <laughs> but then that, that moment hits, right? Where you see like the sirens go by you and you're like, yes, they got them. They deserve that. But it, it, it happens in other ways. As a parent, I, I struggle with compassion. Just being honest. I'm like the rub some dirt on it. Nothing's broken. You're fine. Get up. 
I'm also the parent who says, hey, don't play on the stairs. If you play on the stairs, I'm telling you, you're going to fall. Something's going to get hurt. And then what happens? I told you not to play on the stairs. Didn't I tell you? I told you, I told you, I told you that is exactly what was going to happen. It's Jojo, who's three. She's in tears and her face is red and she's crying and her arm hurts. I, I told you not to play on the stairs. You got what you deserved. I'm so, so thankful that my wife is like, no, that's not the response. And she picks her up and she gives her love and she's trying to help her understand Evangeline. The stairs aren't safe to play on. Do you see the difference in conversation there? In my head, you got what you deserved. I told you not to do that. In my wife's head, it's, hey, this is a teaching moment. I'm going to let you know that I love you and you made a bad decision, but I'm also going to restore you. So other ways we rationalize. Well, they did this to me, so I can fill in the blank. They mistreat me, I can mistreat them. They lied about me, I can lie about them. They stole from me, I can steal from them, so on and so And accepting mistreatment because I deserve it. This is directly linked to seeing us differently than God sees us. Which kind of brings the next one into, into the equation, insecurity. Insecurity, we, we lack self-confidence. We continually feel inadequate. We have high levels of stress or anxiety. We're overly critical of ourselves and others. We get dissatisfied with personal relationships. And these, again, these are all things that pop into our lives. I only picked five this morning because, let's be honest, we could be here all day, be like the seminar of love blockers. Insecurity. So we've done being judgmental, prejudice, rationalization, insecurity. And the last one is this, pride. I heard a lot of ooms. I'm a pride guy. It's important that we are in touch with what's broken inside of us. So when I, when I read these off, I will tell you, this is my list. I, I'm not overly judgmental. I can be a little prejudiced against things like Cowboy fans and Giants fans. You know, I think you deserve it. So I'm not overly insecure. I will rationalize bad behavior. But when it comes to pride, I'm not, I'm not super insecure. Some things, yeah, but not about a lot of things. But when it comes to pride, that's my bread and butter. And some of these, as I put them on the list, I was like, well, I guess I should just describe how I am from time to time. And here they are, overemphasis on self-importance and self-worth. I was talking with Mike this week, and I should have put it in. We were talking about Christianity over the last thousands of years and how everybody before our movement or reformation got it wrong. And isn't Jesus just so glad that he finally got us to figure out scripture? <laughs> you know, it's just awesome sense of my sense of self is superior than others i'm just i'm better i i look better i don't but you get what i'm saying false humility that's a hard one because unless someone comes to you and actually kind of brings that to your attention it's a hard one to suss out for ourselves false humility unable to accept constructive criticism not being teachable disregarding others experience or advice Vanity in appearance or possessions. 
I uh, got my hair cut this week, and this is me being vanity and appearance. I didn't like it. And I was like, do you think I could preach this week with a hat on? Maybe like, that would be okay. And it doesn't look bad. I got plenty of compliments on it, but it didn't turn out the way I wanted it because, hey, my worth is greater than what this represents me as. But understand, like these are the elements in our lives that are stopping us from experiencing God's love. Maybe the initial experience of God's love, coming into salvation, entering into that relationship. There's certainly, if they're building blocks in our lives, if this is what we're struggling, we're not experiencing God the way we should. One example, and I'm glad Brian, is he here? There's Brian. I actually called him this week. I said, hey, can I use this as an example? Because there's two in the middle. Unable to accept constructive criticism, not teachable, disregard others' experiences and advice. Um, I could tell you, personally, that has been some of the biggest struggles of my life over the last 20, 25 years. Even recently, uh, I guess it's not that, it's a couple years ago. A couple years ago, we had a trunk or treat. And what had happened in the past is after trunk or treat, we'd keep the candy back here. And the students would come in during the school day and they would take candy. Teachers could use it. I didn't care. It's got to go, right? So a couple years back, we did the same thing. We left the candy in the back. I wasn't checking on it. Wasn't really paying attention to it. Teachers knew it was there. Students knew it was there. They were kind of coming and going as they pleased. The only problem is when you open a bag of candy and you start rifling through things and you open wrappers and you leave things out, guess what happens? Mice. Yeah. You're like, the church has, yes, I'm, listen, we live in Orange County in farm country. There's critters everywhere. So Brian, Brian, our deacon, he came to me and he said, listen, I want to talk to you about this. And he had shared an experience that he had with another person. And that person said, well, you can talk to him, but he's not going to hear you. Man, talk about unable to accept constructive criticism and not being teachable and disregarding others' experience or advice. That was, what, three, four years ago? And I called him. I said, Brian, can I share this experience? And he said, yeah. And I said, hopefully, I'm praying in earnest that that perception of me has changed. And I won't tell you what he said, but I'm hoping. Listen, I have not conquered that. That is a continual struggle for me. I constantly have, I have to listen. I have to be aware. I have to stop pride from getting in the way. I know better. And what I mean is, I know better. I know that's not right. So in my notes, I left blanks. Like I said, this is not a comprehensive lift. It's not intended to be like this is the be-all, end-all. If you think about it later and you're going back through it, or maybe if you're listening to the podcast or whatever later and you think of other things that pop up, fill it in. Ask us about it. Talk to someone and say, hey, is this a thing? Like, is this something that's preventing me from not only loving God but loving others? You can find out. Because here's... Here's what I want you guys to consider this morning, whether you're tuning in or you're in the room with us. In those love blockers, this is what's important. Three things. You can't give what you don't possess. You can't give what you don't possess. I can't love God. I can't love others if it's not being built in me. I can't love my family if it's not being built in me. How so? Because the state that you're in is the state that you give to others. It's passing that baton. 
I'm critical because my parents were critical, because my grandparents were critical, and I'm probably assuming my great-great-grandparents were critical. It's not a fun thing to say. It's not a fun thing to stop and consider that some of my, my misgivings and my brokenness comes from generational sins. Why? Because that's, I don't want to look at my mom and be like, Mom, you did this to me. Well, it's great-grandma's fault. It's on us. And what you do is important, but who you are is even more important. If we don't believe that we're loved, it's impossible to love God and to love others the way that we're designed to do so. That's the the love is at the core, the love blockers. Now we kind of move into the how-tos, how to love. Well, first, it's understanding that we're designed to accept love. We are created in the very image of God. We, we are uh, partakers in some of his characteristics. There's things that he shares with us. There's things that he keeps for himself. But love is one of those characteristics that he shares with us. And I just have a, a handful of scripture to kind of look at. First John chapter 4 verses 7 through 11 says this. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent us to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Here's the important thing about this. The first step in fixing what's blocking our love and fixing this relationship with God is understanding this. God loves us first unconditionally. It doesn't matter. We bring nothing to the table. We don't have any leverage in this relationship. It is simply this. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says this. I have it in both the King James and the New American Standard. Because I love what it says. It says, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The New American Standard takes that word and translates it to, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I don't know if any of you know who Mark Ward is. Mark Ward is a a modern theologian. He's a, a, a linguistics like doctor or something. Like he does all these word studies on words that we just don't use anymore. Commendeth is one of those words. It's not a word that we use in regular talk. It's, it's, it's old, maybe archaic. But here's the thing. Even in this idea of God commendeth and God demonstrates, he argues this point. Neither one of these words really does justice to what the original writers were thinking. He talks about it as this. He paints this, this beautiful picture about crushed black velvet and the purest diamonds that you could possibly find and placing them on this crushed velvet and shining the brightest light that you could shine onto these diamonds and letting all of their lavish nature just exude. I was... Uh, a couple of years back, we went to the Met 
and they had this beautiful diamond exhibit. And when I heard this, I immediately thought about that because I'm, I'm not the guy you take to the art museum. I'm not. I, mm, I'll probably get kicked out. I, was, I don't even know what this is. What is that? Am I looking at it right? Like what? But in this, in the, in the, they had this beautiful display and it was all dark and you could go and kind of single file one at a time. But the whole display, it was this beautiful artwork and these beautiful cases with, with the black velvet all the way around it with these diamond designs. Some were crushed, kind of sprinkled over things to look like butterflies. But it, it was so beautiful. And I read the description. I was like, are we, what are we, this like a Boy Scout project? Is this something like a, a kindergarten project? And my wife was like, come on, be respectful. Don't, don't be a knucklehead. <clears throat> and I walked in. And I was like, this is amazing. This is beautiful. I mean, it was beautiful. And, and in my mind, that is exactly what these words truly mean. It means this, the love that God showcases, the love that God showcases is on display in all of its amazing, supernatural, glorious beauty in the action of Christ's death for us in our sinful state. Boy, that really changes the perspective when we think about this lavish, wild, beautiful, glorious love that God is pouring into us. That he's done so through the person of Christ. See, God didn't wait till we were worthy. He didn't wait till we were all cleaned up. He didn't wait till we were able to pay for it, till we deserved it. He just poured it out. Both in 1 John and here in Romans, God is demonstrating his love. God is showing that he took action. Proving that genuine love produces action. It's showcased. It's demonstrated. And we're not asked to accept his love based on words, based on false promises, based on feelings. We are just, here, I'm proving my love to you. Take it or leave it. That's, that's where we're at. Love produces this evidence. It's not just about feeling. Love is deployed through proof. In short, God didn't just say it. He proved it. It's accepting that. It's realizing there is a value that God has on me that maybe my insecurities don't see. That maybe I rationalize away because I'm a sinner. I can't sing this song. I have a hard time singing that song. I get to that for you are good point and I get choked up and I'm glad that when we do it, we do it in practice once because getting through that and understanding that pauses you to stop and look. Jesus, friend of sinners, outcasts, lost causes. That's me. It's accepting that it's understanding that God has acted out of love and because he has, so can we. We act out of love. John chapter 13, verse 34. I got a handful of verses. We're going to read them through. And it's just, it's furthering that evidence of what we're called to do. John chapter 13, verse 34 says this. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. If what? If you have love one another. There's a, a singer he used to be a part of Cayman's Call, and he had a song after he left Cayman's Call that said basically, 
you'll know we are Christians by our t-shirts. Not our love. That's a foreign concept. Why? I gave you a list of why. We'll revisit that in a minute. First John chapter 3. Here's another handful of verses that talk about this call to love. It says this, chapter 3, verse 16, 18, and 23. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers and sisters. Little children, let's not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. What we say and what we do match up. This is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. And here's the last one for right now. Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 45. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may prove yourselves to be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he causes sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Does anybody know what the next couple of statements are to this portion of scripture? He says taxpayers or tax collectors, they know how to love each other. The evil people know how to love each other. He says Gentiles know how to love each other. It's easy to love your family. It's easy to love your friends. It's easy to love everyone who treats you with kindness. What about folks like this? Our enemies outside of who we are that think differently, that look differently, that live differently, that, oh my goodness, they sin differently. Guess what? These aren't polite suggestions. These are commands. These are saying, hey, here's a requirement. Here is, here's an expectation that I have on you. If you are wearing this banner of Christ and you are a child of God, the expectation isn't to just pretend. The expectation is to figure it out, get over yourself, and love like Christ did. I want to challenge you this morning to be radical. I'm going to call the worship team back up. And as they're coming up, I want you to think, because this is a radical idea of, of loving God, loving others, being faithful to Scripture, because what it means is, if we truly believe what the Bible is saying about us, about how we're supposed to be as individuals, about how we're supposed to be as a church, then these are some of the things that we have to stop and kind of take into consideration. Maybe being radical means, instead of being judgmental, I, I work to build tolerance and meekness, and being non-critical. I love that word pardoning. Forgiveness. Some of these kind of bleed into the other. Instead of being prejudiced, I want to reject these things. I want to reject being judgmental. And I want to pursue being tolerant and meek. Instead of being prejudiced, I want to reject that spirit of prejudice. And I want to be equitable. I want to be impartial. I want to act justly. Instead of rationalizing why this person deserves that, why I deserve this, why I should get this, stop and think forgiveness. Distancing ourselves from the situation, changing the lens. This happened recently in our life. We have a, uh, experiencing some stuff with family and talking to them, and their response was, well, if you knew all of this, it's like, wow, I never stopped to consider that. Changing the lens. Moving past our insecurities, rejecting how I think I feel, what I think I feel, and, and building on a strong, healthy, sure relationship, seeing the worth that God has for me, how God sees me.
pride. Rejecting pride. Pursuing a, a modest understanding of life. Being re- more reserved, more humble. Maybe pursuing meekness. Our identity, our core values, who we are as a church, who we are as individuals. It calls for a clear commitment to love God and to love others. Those are the distinctives that get in the way. And it's like, but wait, there's more. There's a lot more. Maybe yours isn't on the list. I don't know. I know I got a couple of those on my list. So here's what I want to do. I want to invite you as we we start to close out our song here, our service today. The worship team's going to lead us in a song. And and here's, here's what I want you to consider. How I view God's love and how I receive and respond to, to respond to God's love is directly linked to how I treat others. How do I love God? How am I nurturing that love in me? How am I putting it on display for others? Jesus made it clear. Love God with all of yourself. It's linked to loving others, intimately linked to loving others. How is that translating from God to me to everybody around me? And as we sing this final song, listen, we don't always do altar calls, and that's not what this is intended to be, but it's intended to be a time to just kind of stop, take a little inventory. If you want to sing, sing. If you want to pray, pray. There's space up here. There's space in the back. If you want to come and and talk to someone to pray with or pray for you, there's a number of people that will be available and ready. So I'm going to invite you to stand, and I'm going to invite you to sing with us this morning as we close out and think pause. How can I be radically loving God? Radically in pursuit of God. Radically in pursuit of loving others. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted.
close in just a moment. And, and Mike's going to finish the bridge and the chorus. And we're going to sing it together. This is just that last reminder, the benediction, if you will. Just the last thing to consider. If you've seen The Chosen, in the second season, there's an episode where Jesus is talking with a man around the fire. And it's basically a retelling of the Good Samaritan. And the, the character's name is Malik, and he's talking about how him and his friends robbed this Jewish guy, and they took all his stuff, and, and they, they ran off with it. And he was in charge of taking the man's horse and driving off. And something happens, the horse kicks him off, and he breaks his leg. And he looks at Jesus, and he says, Now that you know who you've helped, I'm sure that changes what you think about me. And it's really cool. I, I, I know they take liberty of it. But Jesus talks to him about the good shepherd. He leaves the 99, he seeks after the one, and he tells him, listen, I know that guy, he's fine. But he goes into this whole like reminder of what Jesus came to do. And in that parable that we read later in Luke, we see what Jesus is talking about. He talks about how in that story, the man is robbed, left for dead, and a priest comes, and a Levite comes, and both of them cross the street and they go in the other direction they want nothing to do with this guy except for the good Samaritan who comes along picks him up, nurses his wounds restores him to as much health as possible, takes him to the end takes care of all of the charges comes back and says I'll come back I'll take care of him even more and in that story we see there's two religious leaders two people that were supposed to teach the truth about God's love that acted completely different and one guy who is potentially ignorant to what God says, who acted and showed genuine love. And in that story, Jesus asked, who is my neighbor? But how he answers it, he says, who was the neighbor? He said, who was the, the guy that, that helped? And Jesus says, you're right. And he doesn't say, go and teach love. He says, go and do. Go and do. Let's be faithful to scripture. Let's love God. Let's love others. Let's go and do. Let's sing it together. You are my king.
God, let that be true of us. That we would honor you in all we do. And when I blow that maybe five, ten minutes from now, <laughs> help us to, to know who I am, help me to know who I am in you and to know that uh, it is only by your grace I have been saved. It is only by your mercy that I am not scorched from this earth. So help us to walk away from here and, and just take that first step towards, I don't know, maybe just looking a little bit like you help us this morning and, and this afternoon. And, and as we continue throughout this life, let us draw further up and further in towards you bless and keep us as we go in Jesus name. Amen.